do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Hey, once you're going to get at your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4, uh, whether you have a digital or analog Bible, going to turn there. And church, hey, we live and move and breathe in the truth. Look, a rich theology leads to a life that actually makes a difference. And that happens when we actually know the word of God, when we have it written on our hearts, and we actually live it out as it guides us. Last week, we talked about discerning the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Come on, do you live in post-truth or do you live in the truth? We talked about how we discern the truth by knowing the word of God. Look, we don't propagate lies with our lives. It's that we live and move and breathe in the truth. The truth is the word of God. The truth is Christ. The truth is the gospel. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Come on, church, there's freedom in the truth. In fact, Jesus himself even prayed. As he was praying to the Father for his disciples, he prayed this in John 17, verse 17. He says, sanctify them, Father, in your truth. He says, your word is truth. Look, this is how we can actually test the spirits. In other words, the spirits are all these other philosophies or ideologies or politicalities or ways of culture or what is perceived as the truth or perceived as a wave of culture or perceived as the norm. How we test those spirits is through the word of God. It's through the filter of what, the, what God has actually said in his word. We base our lives and we build our futures on the truth. In fact, do you remember the three confessions that we made last week? Going through 1 John, we made th these three confessions last week. Looking at the first part of 1 John, we said, look, if the Lord has said it, I submit to it. Look, if God has declared it in his word, even if there's something I really, 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 really wanna do, if God said something different in his word, if he has said it, we're gonna submit to it. We also said, look, we're going to choose Christ over culture. Look, even if there's something out there that's countercultural, we're going to declare with our lives and confess with our lives that with our lives, there's nothing better that the world has to offer than to bring in Christ's glory. So we're going to choose Christ over culture. And then we also confessed last week that the presence of Christ in us is greater than the pressure of the world outside of us. Remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it's Christ in us that helps us to overcome. And as we've been going through this first part of 1 John, John challenged the church in chapter 4. And he's challenging us by the power of the Holy Spirit to know what the truth is, to actually discern the truth. 
After that passionate call for the church to discern the truth, this week we're going to see as we go through the next part of 1 John chapter 4 that he's also going to challenge the church to actually discern what is love, the truth in love. In fact, today we're going to get right into the passage. And as we've been often doing, as we've been going through this series in 1 John, we're going to start with some congregational reading. So for those of you who maybe it's your first Sunday here, or maybe you haven't been here when we've done this, as we've been going through this verse by verse, you're going to see up here on the screen the passage of Scripture we're going to be in today. And you're going to see some words in bold. And together we're going to read the words in bold. And the words not in bold, I'm just going to read. Church, remember this, okay? As we read this today, what we're reading is the word of God. This is history, but it is living and active. This is God breathed, and it is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that every one of us may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What we're reading today is truth. There's freedom in the truth. It is in this truth that you find freedom and you can actually live life to the full. What we're reading today is the word of God. But just like Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17, where he was praying to the father for his disciples, that the father would sanctify them in his truth and that his word is truth. As we read it today, would you let it sanctify you? Would you let it read you? So let's get into it today. It's all going to stand if you're able. We're going to be 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And let's read the first part here together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Before you head to your seat today, I originally titled this message, Love God, Love Others, dot, 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 again. Because John is going to repeat some things that he's been repeating again and again today. But I changed the title of today's message. And before you head to your seat, I need you to high five at least two people around you. I want you to give them my new two word title and tell them love is, okay? High five two people, tell them my new two word title, tell them love is. I think some of you high-fived more than two people, but whatever. Church, I only have one point for you today. Um, And don't worry, there's four sub-points. I don't think you're going to get out of here early, all right? I have one point for you today, one bottom line, one main thing I want you to remember looking at this passage in 1 John chapter 4. Here it is. Number one, write this down. Love is love if it's defined by God. When looking at this broad topic of love, in any instance, love is love if it's defined by God. There are a couple things here. And church, this is one of those passages that is so rich. It is so full. It is so connected from Genesis to Revelation with talking about the incredible love of God. That there's so many things that we could point back to and turn back to, but we're going to focus on just a couple things today that I want to highlight, that I think John shows us here. And the first thing here is that God's love is verified by God. When we're talking about what love is, God's love is verified by God. You know, I thought about singing that song, What is Love, by Hathaway. You know what I'm talking about? Love is love, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. But I'm not going to sing it because whenever I sing, people in this church insult me. And I'm not going to sing today because I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to get my feelings hurt. But man, this is a question that people have been asking for centuries. What is love? How is it defined? What does love actually look like? For centuries, they've been asking this question, and how many of you know that so many of us for so long will often look for the very definition of it in the wrong place? And I know this probably goes without saying, but if you have been looking for the definition of love from either Hollywood or celebrities, I believe that you know deep down inside you're already looking in the wrong place. If you've been looking for the definition of love from the government, you're looking in the wrong place. Look, if you've been looking for the definition of love from the dictionary to see if the dictionary can even verify what love is, you're looking in the wrong place. If you've been looking deeper inside yourself to see what love is or what it could be, the more we look for the definition of love deeper inside us, purely based on us, the more we're actually going to see how broken love could be. But see, I have some good news for you today. 
John told us the definition of love. And the good news is that the pressure to define what love is is not on us because the purest form of love does not even come from us. Look again what John says here in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from where, church? Come on, you need to say a little more confidence in that. Love is from And he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then in verse 16, he says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Love is from God. God is is love. You know, it's important to note here that love is not God because we're not called to worship love or to pray to love or even to dedicate our lives to love. John says here that God is love. Love is from God and love is one of God's. I'm going to use a theological term here. Love is one of God's communicable attributes. See, God has some incommunicable attributes. It means there are things about God that are exclusive to the God of the universe that we need to know about him, but we're never going to possess these characteristics or these attributes. A lot of times I think about the incommunicable attributes of God. I think about all the omnis, right? Like God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. There is no one in this universe who's more powerful than God No one in this universe has more authority than God. Look, some of you I know have probably sat in some high positions in government and high positions in your company, and you've had some great power and some great authority, but not even you have more power and authority than God himself. He's omnipotent. But see, God is also omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Church, it boggles my mind to think about the fact that God knows everything. And not only does he know everything, he knows everything about everything, and he knows everything about everyone. In fact, even right here in this room, God knows every single thought that every single person is thinking at this moment. And maybe you're like me, you're thinking, okay, what in the world am I going to have for lunch after church is over today? Maybe you're thinking right now, why in the world are you wearing that beautiful flower shirt this morning? Maybe you're wondering, when is this message going to be over? All your thoughts flowing through your mind right now. God knows every single thought and every person in this room and watching online. In fact, there's close to 8 billion people on the planet right now. And even right now, God knows every single thought, every single thing, all those 8 billion people are doing right now. He knows what they were thinking and doing in the past. He knows what they will think and do in the future. It boggles my mind that he could possibly know all those things. Again, I know that we have some smart people here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. I know that many of you guys even have a bunch of uh, degrees on your wall and a bunch of other little letters after your name. I know there's some smart people up in this room, but you would never be as knowing as the God of the universe is. He knows everything. And of course, God is also omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere at once. And again, no matter how much we may try to like spy on people or whatever, like you would never know, be everywhere at one single time, that these are some of God's incommunicable attributes. But see, God also has some communicable attributes. 
which means these are the attributes that he wants to grow in us that actually help us to reflect who he is. In fact, one of the things that scripture means when it says that you have been created in the image of God is a reminder that these attributes are ones that we can reflect because our heavenly father wants to share them with us. In fact, one of those communicable attributes is kindness. In fact, sometimes even when, even before you even came to know Christ, you may have wanted to be kind to someone else because our heavenly father is kind. Um, one of those communicable attributes is justice. Man, it's that thing that's in all of us or even most of us that where if someone is wronged, man, we want to see that wrong made right because our God is a God of justice. And of course, one of the communicable attributes is the one we're talking about today, and that is the communicable attribute, the attribute that God wants to grow in us because he has the purest form of it is that of love. John makes it so clear here. God is love. Love is from God. He's the very definition of it. He's the creator of it. And real love is from God. So when it comes to love on any level of any kind, real love looks like love that has been verified by God. And here John is challenging the church to see what love, what real love really looks like to see that it really comes from God. He's the greatest example of it. Man, he is our true north of it. He is the source and both the resource of what real love looks like. Author and pastor John Mark Homer, he says this about the love of God and about love itself. He says, look, if you really want to know what love looks like, he says, look to Jesus on the cross. Look, the love of God is a sacrificial love. It's a self-giving love. Come on, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's a holy love, which means, again, it's a purest form of love. Because love is verified by God himself, this means that it is holy. His love is holy, and you cannot dignify immorality and call it real love because real love is from God. God is love. So if there is a form of love in your life that does not reflect the love of God, has not been defined by him, has not been verified or permitted by him, that love is not from God. Look, you may have a love for money and possessions. That love is not from God. Church, um, before coming to know Christ, uh, I, I was a biology major and I was studying to go somewhere in the medical field. And I wanted to go in the medical field, yes, because I wanted to help people. That's kind of on the back burner. But the main reason why I wanted to go in the medical field, because I wanted to make some money, okay? Like, we grew up in a very poor neighborhood in South Florida. Uh, yes, we grew up in Palm Beach County, but we did not live in the neighborhood where, like, Donald Trump and Madonna and all those, and Tiger Woods has a home. We lived on the opposite side of the track from where they have their homes, and I remember thinking, maybe it was from watching MTV Cribs or whatever it was, but like I wanted to make sure that when I grew up, I had some money and I had some possessions. I remember thinking, look, I'm going to get into the medical field and I had it all planned out. I had this great love and passion and desire to get some things and I was going to have a monogram driveway, okay? I was going to have my own helicopter pad. I don't know if I was going to have a helicopter, but I at least wanted something where a helicopter could land on. I had all my cars picked out. I had a BMW M5, 
a BMW X5, and a BMW M3 convertible for on the weekends. And then I even wanted to get some type of exotic pet, okay? Maybe like a, a tiger or maybe like some type of monkey that could put in a diaper and train to go to the refrigerator and get something out of the refrigerator for me. I had it all planned out. And I was driven by this love of money and possessions. And of course, after coming to Christ, like that whole view completely changed. Now, again, let me just remind you, okay, if you are in Christ, a follower of Jesus, look, we are commanded, we are challenged to be good stewards of what we've earned or what we've been given by God's grace. Look, we're called to be generous. We're called to fuel the mission to build God's kingdom. Look, we are called to take care of those who are in need. We are called to make good investments and even leave an inheritance one day. Man, that is what God has called us to do with all of our money and our possessions. But church, we are also commanded and challenged to not love money and not let it to be the Lord of our lives. Look, I don't have these verses for you, for you in your notes or on the slide, but write this down, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The apostle Paul writes, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In fact, he said it is through this craving that some have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And sometimes even the pain that we're experiencing in our lives, because we've based our love in the wrong thing. We base it in love of the love of money and even the love of possessions. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, Look, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Come on, right now, is Jesus enough for you? He said he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. Even right now, with what you have is Christ enough. And Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Look, if you have a love of money and possessions, that love is not from God. Because real love is from God. God is love. Look, if you have a love right now for something that is either sinful or immoral right now, that love is not from God. If right now you are loving, hating other people, that love is not from God. If right now you are loving sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that love is not from God. In fact, one of the things that has been so clear in Scripture, again, from beginning to end, that the only acceptable sexual relationship in the word of God is when it's one man, one woman who are married under the covenant relationship with the Lord. Any other relationship, any other sexual relationship, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, is against the love of God. And right now, if you're loving, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside the definition that God has given, that love is not from God. Hey, if you are loving right now, overeating or gluttony or engaging in alcoholism, that love is not from God. God's love is pure. It is holy. It is good. 
God's love is a very litmus test in what love should look like in every single arena of our lives. And again, sometimes we try to engage in all these other forms of love outside the very definition that God has given, but real love is. Love is from God because God is love. It's been established, verified, defined by him. But not only that, okay? God's love is visible, John shows us here. God's love is visible. Listen to again what he says here in verse nine. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look, that word manifest right there used in verse nine. Look, it means to be seen, to be made visible, to be made evident, to be made clear. Church, have you ever thought about just how amazing and how good the gospel is? Look, God didn't just say that he loved us from a distance, but instead up close and personal, he showed us that he loved us through Christ. John said that the love of God, this visible representation of the love of God came in Jesus so that the world might be able to live so that we could live. And he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you remember what that word propitiation means that we talked about a few weeks ago? Look, propitiation means a turning away of anger by an offering, a gift, or a payment. It is a sacrifice of atonement. Church, the propitiation is at the heart of the gospel. Look, we are all born with sin in our hearts. And look, that sin that we're born with is causing a brokenness that we both see and feel in us and that we both see and feel in the world. And see, the Bible also says that the sin that's in us, look, it is earning us something. In fact, the wages of sin is death. And that if we don't do something about that sin problem, if payment is not made, we're going to spend eternity apart from God. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on us. But see, the good news is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like when you repent of that sin and believe this good news about the gospel, you receive this life that Jesus says here, that John is saying here, that you get to actually live because of the love of God. You get to experience this propitiation that the wrath of God has been turned away. But see, this is not just a reminder for the believer. It's a reminder for the person yet who hasn't yet trusted in Christ. Come on, do you know that he's been calling you? Do you know that he's been drawing you? Do you know how much he loves you? Come on, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because right now, even today, placing your faith in him means that the wrath of God will be turned away and the love of God is gonna be lavished on you. Have you been looking for love in all the wrong places? Because maybe, maybe it's found right here with Jesus. Look, John says this propitiation, this salvation, this visible love has been made manifest through Jesus. But then he says something here that's almost contradictory. 
He says, look, Jesus had been made manifest, which means to be visible, to be clear. Again, in 1 John chapter 1, he says, look, I've seen, I've heard. He says, I literally touched Jesus. Like I saw him literally walking on the earth. And he says this in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. And I know what you're saying, okay? Andrew, haven't you said before that Jesus is God? Absolutely. In fact, the gospel, right? Jesus is God. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave, making us a way to be able to experience this love of God, life right now and for eternity. This love of God was made manifest through his son who is God. So that is true. And John saw Jesus and he's saying here that no one has ever seen God. What in the world does he mean? Is that a contradiction in scripture. Let's keep reading, okay? In verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. He says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He says, by this, we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And he says that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us because God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now you may not notice right there and just read it. If you read back over even just that passage and all throughout this letter, like John has been doing this. He's been talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All throughout this letter, he's been referencing what we call the members of the Trinity. Now, Trinity is not a word that's in the Bible. It's one of those doctrinal, foundational things that we hold on to, pointing to the fact that there is only one God. In fact, theologian Dr. Wayne Grudem, he says this. He says, God's invisibility means that God's total essence— all his spiritual being will never be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows himself to us. And again, God has revealed himself to us. He has made his love manifest through Christ. But all throughout this letter, what John is pointing us to is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, here's some language that we use like to make this clear that there is only one God, okay? The doctrine of the Trinity says this. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. There is one God. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. And you may say, Andrew, I know you just said that, and you just showed all the linkings right here in this passage, and I don't fully understand that. Church, neither do I. I feel like I've been studying the Trinity for years and years, and I still don't fully understand how there is one God eternally existing in one person's perfect unity, perfect fellowship, perfect love within the Trinity, but yet eternally existing, and there's only one God. And I know that this is true because all throughout Scripture, the Trinity has been revealed all throughout the Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It talks about how there is only one God who has eternally existed in three persons. Each person is fully God. 
And church, if I had a God that I could fully explain, he wouldn't be God. I would be. And I don't know about you, okay, but I'm not God. And I hate to break it to you, but neither are you. But there is one God who's eternally existing in three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. And John even says, look, you haven't seen the Father, but through the Son, the love of God has been put on display, made manifest. And in that you have seen God. But then he also says, look, the love of God through Christ has been put on display and is being put on display through us. Which brings me to letter C there on your notes. We're going to talk about the love of God being defined by God. Look, God's love is very active. Look, it's not a stagnant love. It's one that is very active even today. And again, look back at verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And he says this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look here, love is both a noun and it's also a verb. Look, God's love is a very act of his will. God sent his son. He sent his son into the world. Look, God made the first move when it came to loving us. We didn't even know that we needed him. We didn't even know that, that we needed to love him. God made the first move even while we were still sinners. In fact, another one of God's incommunicable attributes is that God is self-sustaining, which means that he doesn't need anyone or anything. He doesn't need the creation Church, he doesn't even need us. But the good news in that is that because he loved us, he chose us. And even though he didn't need us, he wants us. What an incredible picture of God's love that he made the first move when we were literally living in offense to him. He showed us his incredible love. He made the first move. His love is very active. And look, it's a reminder that we as the church, as his followers, should do the same. He says, love one another. And again, so many times, and again, here in chapter four, John says we are to love one another because God is love, because love is from God, we are to love one another. Church, I know I've said this before, but since John keeps repeating himself, I'm gonna repeat myself as well. Anytime, the Bible repeats a concept and it layers it and expands on it and reminds us again and it says it again and it repeats it again and it layers it and it builds upon it and it reminds us again. Anytime it repeats a concept like that, it's like it's saying, don't miss this. It's like the Holy Spirit is saying, look, so many people will get it twisted. They'll get it wrong. It's, it's like he's saying, look, don't miss this. This is so important that you are to love one another because this love has come from God because God is love. We're his representatives here on earth. We need to love one another. And I asked you this question a few weeks ago, and I want to ask you this question again. Look, is there a need for an abundance of love to be put on display in your life for someone right now? Right here in this room, is there an abundance of love that you need to put on display for someone in your life right now? 
Look, he's saying here, love one another. Love your brothers, love your sisters. Uh, let, me, let me ask the question to the literal brothers and sisters in this room right now. Are you loving one another? Are you sharing that love of Christ with one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, being tenderhearted toward one another? Come on, literal brothers and sisters, are you loving one another? Husbands and wives in the room. Come on, husbands, are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? So much so that he was willing to lay down his life for the church. Come on, it's a sacrificial love. It's a self-giving love. It's a love that is in the purest form. Are you loving your wives in a way that Christ has called us to love the church? Wives in the room. Are you submitting to your husbands out of reverence for Christ? There's something in that where the Lord has said, look, when you do that, it's out of reverence for him. It's out of love for him. Like, are you submitting to your husbands in the way that God has told you to love them? Dad's in the room. Look, we're commanded not to drive our children to anger, but instead to love them by bringing them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Uh, one of the things, church, and again, I will admit to you that there, there are some times when my fuse is so short with my children. Maybe because there's four of them running in the house. Maybe because at times it seems like I have 40 people talking to me at one time. Uh, maybe because at times, you know, there's still, there's still so much de- demanding happening and training that's happening. But again, I'm so grateful for my wife who will remind me when I am trying to drive my children to anger. It's time for me to repent and head a different direction. Because again, I want our family, our life to be defined by the love of God, not my own anger or my own tension points or even my own sin, but the love of God. So right now, even in your home, is there someone that you need to put on an abundance of love on display for them to show them that, man, the love of God is in you, that it is very active in you, that is visible in your life? Is there an abundance of love that needs to be put on display for someone right now in your life? And then last thing, okay, that John shows us here, that God's love is victorious. This is so good. Listen to verse 17 again. John says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then he says this, okay, and this is one of those coffee mug t-shirt verses that I'm sure you hear all the time, okay? He says, look, there is no fear in love But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Church, there is a connection right here between perfect love and confidence that somebody has. In fact, author and theologian John MacArthur, he says says about this. He says, look, confidence is actually a sign that love has matured. The greater confidence someone has in love is a sign that love is actually matured or at least is growing in your life. Look, there is this confidence that a believer has that since God in Christ made the first move, that our salvation is not based on us, but it's based on Christ. 
And there is a security that the believer has that our future is now secure because we know the one who holds the future. John writes, look, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, some people have interpreted this verse in a couple different ways. Like some people have interpreted this, this verse where because there is no fear in love, look, we don't have to fear anything. So no matter what comes in our life, we don't have to fear because God's love is in us, it's being perfected in us, and because he loved us, we don't have to fear anything. So whatever comes away, hey, we can go and charge the next mountain. We can wrestle a bear if it comes up to us because there's no fear in love. You can even eat some undercooked chicken because there's no fear in love. Don't do that, by the way. Okay, that's a joke. All right, so don't eat undercooked chicken. Make sure it's fully cooked. I think the temperature needs to be at least 150 degrees. 165. Just a test, all right, for you. Now, there is, okay, there is some truth in that, right? Like, there is some truth in that because God has loved us, because there's great security in the believer. Like, you don't have to fear. But right here, John is talking about something very specific. He's talking about this eternal security that the believer has. Because the wrath of God has been turned away. Because of this propitiation, you don't have to fear that final day when you're standing before God. If you are in Christ, that punishment, that wrath is now turned away. But instead, the love of God has been lavished on you, and you will spend eternity as co-heirs with Christ. He's saying that the love of God is a victorious love. And at the end of the day, when you are in Christ, look, you will overcome because of this love. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Man, it gives a believer this incredible confidence and this incredible security and it's all based in the love of God. And again, maybe you've been searching for security in all these other places. Going from relationship to relationship, identity to identity, and you've been trying to find love in all these other places, but really it's only found in the love of God. Church, what great love has been lavished on us that's found in the love of Christ. As our worship team makes their way back up to the stage, okay? Again, as John has been repeating these things and layering these things and expanding these things, one of the um, uh, hopefully subtle but not so subtle statements I've been making to you as we've been going through this series is that, look, we need to recognize the patterns that we're building today because they are determining who we're becoming tomorrow. Look, right now in our lives, we need to recognize the patterns that we're building today because they are determining who we are becoming tomorrow. Church, has the right type of love been established in your life? Because what has been established also sets the expectation. And if you set what's been established based on you or based on the government or Hollywood or even further inside yourself, you've established the wrong thing. Look, your life your heart, your mind, your future needs to be established in the love of Christ. So I have a couple quick questions I want to ask you. Um, then we're going to sing one more song. When we're thinking about this, okay, is the pattern of love in your life been verified by God? Look, is your pattern of love actually verified by God? Are you basing the way that you are loving others purely based on the very definition that God has given? 
Because remember, love is love if it's defined by God. Look right now, is the pattern of love in your life, is it visible? Man, can anyone tell that, look, the love of God is actually in you, that you actually love God? Again, is there this abundance of love that needs to be put on display? Is there actual visible evidence of this pattern of love being built in your life, the very characteristic of God being built in your life? Is it active, church? Again, it's not a love that stays and we keep to ourselves, but it's a love that even makes the first move. Is there someone right now that you even need to move toward, man, that has hurt you or offended you, but because the love of God is very active, because it's personal to us, because we don't just keep it to ourselves, it is someone that you actually even need to move toward. And then is the pattern of love in your life on the victorious side? Man, does the love of God settle the security in your heart? And man, even if the worst thing happens to you because God loves you, because nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Man, do you have the security that he's with you? He's never gonna forsake you. He's never gonna leave you. Do you have the security that we will overcome because of the love of God? You're gonna bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, I thank you, Lord, again for your word. And God, I thank you, Lord, for this incredible love that has been poured out on us. God, so many times we ask the question, what is love? What does it look like? God, where do we find it? And you have made it so clear that God is love, that love is from God. Thank you, Lord, for making your love visible. God, thank you for sending Christ. God, thank you for making it a love that is active, that you even made the first move that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But God, thank you that your love is a victorious love. That when we are in you, that we will overcome because of your great love. God, help us to live that out outward. God, help the pattern of love to be so evident in our lives that it literally draws people to you. God, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name.